Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Benfica Nation, welcome to episode 137 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and I know it's been another month since you have heard from me, and I do apologize that this this podcast is turning into a monthly podcast, but um, a lot's been going on, but I've got a lot of stuff um, ready to go for next season. I've got a I've got a system in place that I think is going to work much better going forward, and um, it's just been really crazy in my life right now. Um, again, the, that whole, you know, that whole full-time job and having two full-time job things is really getting in the way of the podcasting. But here I am, bright and early on a Sunday morning, uh, ready to talk some Befico with you, ready to uh, give my thoughts on what's been going on at the club and some other things, uh, ready to just uh, let it out, I guess. There's a lot going on. Uh, the the club is is incredibly inconsistent right now, but of course the club is more than just the men's football team. So I'll I'll touch on some other things that are going on as well, and I will uh, I'll bring everybody up to speed on what I think about what's been going on. You all know how the matches have been going, but really for me the uh, the positives that have happened in the past month or so, or it's been about five weeks, is of course. The, the two matches against Liverpool and the Derby win over Sporting. And we now sit here um, a week away from the Clásico against Porto, who may or may not be champions by the time they take the pitch at the Stadio de Luz next Saturday. Um, that will be determined in the in the coming hours after Sporting plays today, Sunday, May the 1st. 
Uh, I I don't know what what I think. I don't know what I feel about that. If I want Porto to come in as champions already, or if if I want, I don't want Porto celebrating on our pitch, obviously. And I fully support if they, if that happens to cut the lights out again and turn the sprinklers on. I'm totally in favor of that. Uh, you know they would do that to anybody else. So and and again, I'm totally in favor of not treating Porto like like human beings at all. To be honest with you, I'm, I've had it with that club. Uh, you know, the I haven't had a chance to to, to express this, but uh, you know, Mehdi Taremi is a is a ex- sorry excuse of a footballer. He is absolutely disgraceful in the way that he he cheats, that he goes down, that he gets penalties. 20 penalties now um, for Porto this season. So, obviously, I don't want to see them celebrate on our pitch. And if they do clinch the title on our pitch, I hope we are rude. I hope we cut the lights. I hope we fill their locker rooms with stink bombs. I hope we put the stuff on the walls like they've done to us so that they can't hang any of their garbage. I hope that their bus gets hit with rocks on the way into this, the Stade de Luz. I'm telling you, when it comes to Football Club de Porto, there's nothing that is off limits, in my opinion, in terms of how poorly they can be treated. Because, yes, normally I do believe in taking the high road, and I do think our club is, is, is better than that. But you know what? Portuguese football, and it has proven this season, and the Portuguese league, the Liga Portugal, more than a football league, more than a sporting competition, is a very much political competition, a political race. And right now, Porto's politics are the strongest. It is obvious. They have everybody in their pocket. But um, I'm hoping things are going to change. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know how we get past this, to be honest with you. But uh, the game on the field is is, is ruined, essentially. Um there is no there is no sporting merit in the Portuguese league. I'm not saying Porto don't deserve to win the title because our situation is not there you know it is with our own doing that we are so far behind. However, regardless of how poorly we have played this season, um you know again we can go back and we can look at the Fumley Co match and I'll touch on it. You know, that's a penalty at the Dragão in Porto's favor every single time. 100 times out of 100. In the Liga Portugal, if that was Porto in their stadium, that's a penalty for them. For us, it's a different set of rules. Okay, that's not me saying that you know Porto, that Benfica have not been abysmal. That Benfica have, don't deserve to be where they are. But I think in a fair competition, in a competition with sporting merit, with sporting integrity, with referees that are competent and that are not corrupt. I wouldn't, you know, this would be a tighter race, and maybe even Sporting would be ahead of Porto right now. But, of course, that's not the, the championship we have. That's not the league we have, but it needs to be stated. And, you know, PortugueseSoccer.com put out a tweet yesterday about the inclusion of youth in Porto's first team. Okay, and, and that's a little bit of a misleading stat. And I like PortugueseSoccer.com, so I'm not going to harp on them. And the statistics are, you know, on, on the surface correct. However... The, the amount of youngsters you use in the first team does not correlate to wins. It's, it's, they've, used, they've used those youngsters because of the large lead that they've had in the league. Okay, That has allowed them the space and the comfort, and the, it has alleviated the pressure necessary in order to make a, a comfortable and, and a, a fruitful place to, to present young players and to give them their debuts. It, it One kind of goes with the other. It's not as simple as it was stated. 
And what's interestingly is that there's no mention of the doping going on at Football Club Porto. Huh? No talk about that, huh? The B team. Now we got, it's not just the cycling team anymore. Now we're talking about the B team at Porto. That club is garbage. And I hope that next week they get a horrible reception. I hope we are terrible hosts to them next Saturday. That's all I have to say about that. All right. But again, like I said, we have uh, a lot to go over in this match, in this in this match, in this podcast, excuse me. Um, we've got the Braga match. We've got the Bisad match. We've got the two Liverpool matches, the Sporting match, Famalicão, and now this past weekend on the road in Madeira against against Maritimo, where Benfica fans were not allowed to wear their gear once again. And again, that is an absolute hip- just disgrace. I mean, that that is disgrace. That shouldn't even be legal to tell fans what they can and cannot wear once they turn into the turnstiles. I'll get into that when we get there, um, if there's still time. But it's it's absolutely disgraceful, and it's just a continued it's just a continued demonstration of just how political Portuguese sports is and how how much of it overshadows what goes on on the field, on the court, on the track, on the road, whatever your your uh, surface of play is, you know, it's 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 just not in the twenty first century in what is supposed to be a democratic country like Portugal, it is not acceptable. End of story. It is not acceptable. Don't make any excuses for it. It's not acceptable. It it is absolutely again disgraceful. It, it comes out of the nineteenth century and it is just absolutely embarrassing to be honest with you. Embarrassing. Uh, I wanted to talk about a couple things, but uh, I got to give a shout-out to my boy at Gold TV, uh, Nino Torres, okay, continuing to call the Portuguese League. If you were ca- if you caught the Braga versus Benfica match, which, of course, Benfica were beaten, and, um, I don't know, somewhere around the 30th minute, you might have heard this. I mean, fans are just... So for the first time, I was able to record <laughs> Benfica's match in English. Uh, normally, when I watch Benfica in English, it's on a different app than the app which allows me to record. So I don't have the ability to record the matches in English. So I usually watch them in English on the Fanatis USA app, and I record the matches in either Spanish or in Portuguese, wherever it's airing that day in my Fubo TV app. So this time, the, something went wrong in the Fubo app. And Gold TV, instead of being in Spanish, was in English that day. And as soon as that came on, and I was at work, and I had I had it on, and I had an earpiece in, I had a earbud in, while I was trying to hide that I was watching this game or listening to this game at the time. I wasn't even really watching it; I was listening, and I w- I watched it later. But I was, you know, pretending to work, and and I was, uh, you know, looking at my desk or whatever and typing up. But I was listening to the match, and I said, I gotta get him. To to read my name today, I got the record button on and it's in English. So I went to Twitter and I was I was hounding Nino. I was hounding him. I kept tweeting at him during the match to get him to say. So I wanted to catch that 
little bit of audio to put on the podcast and uh yeah, telling him I was supposed to be working and I was I was watching Befica was the way to get to get him to to drop my name and he did that. So thank you, Nino. Uh, thank you for the work you do. Actually, you do a good job calling the Portuguese league. Just ask the boys up at the uh, Joao Wonder, the Portuguese uh, corner podcast. Um, when they discovered him, they were quite quite excited with his his commentary style and um, he's he is entertaining. And and if you don't know this, I have to say. This, Calling a match by yourself, okay, doing pay-by-play by yourself is incredibly difficult. It's inc- I don't think the average fan understands how difficult that is to call it by yourself, and he does every single Liga Portugal match by himself, um, and he, keep, he keeps you entertained. He keeps you watching, um, and he's obviously very, very interactive with the fans and the people watching. Um, I think that's the right fit for for the platform he's on for Gold TV for the Portuguese League here in the United States and in Canada. Um, those that watch it in English, so uh, that was that was the highlight of the match. Unfortunately, uh, where Benfica were beaten by Braga, more dubious refereeing. I don't want to talk about refereeing. It's so disgraceful. It's so embarrassing. It's so bad that it shouldn't. I mean, again. Part of the reason I started this podcast and part of the reason most of the podcasts that cover Befica and, and other Portuguese football exist, whether it's in Portuguese and English or in French, is because Portuguese media sucks and because they are so bad at covering football and that they just bring in the polemica all the time. They only want to talk about the referees. They want to talk about dubious calls. They want to talk, and I want to stay away from that. It's just, it is so damn hard to stay away from that when these referees insert themselves into these matches and make themselves the focal point either through incompetence or through corruption or a mixture of both because it, it, it there there really needs to be an independent third party that comes in from outside of Portugal that looks into all of this questionable refereeing all of these decisions all of the imbalance in the way that the calls are distributed distributed excuse me and um I definitely think there's something there. But, uh, of course, the godfather that controls it all is still in power up in the north. And while he is around, it's going to be hard to uncover anything. But my only hope is that one day, we well, it's inevitable that one day he won't be around. And hopefully, at that time, the game can get cleaned up. Okay, a few other things I want to address. Some of you have been asking me this because, of course, the podcast hasn't been around for a month or so. I haven't put anything out. But if you follow me on Twitter, you are seeing a lot of uh, blog posts and videos that I'm putting together. Handicapping football matches, and it's completely unrelated to Benfica. People are asking, why are you doing all these un- this non-Benfica content? And, uh, you know, what's with all the betting is the question. Well, here's the, the, the short and easy on that. Okay, so I was approached about, I guess, a month ago or so in March about uh, contributing to a website who has been a website that's been very supportive of both this podcast and of my Parking the Bus podcast. Um, Better than Dot Vegas, which is funny. They call them, you know, it's called, they call their their website BTV, just like our club's channel is BTV. So that's kind of the funny uh, double meaning in, in the BTV name but they approached me they they'd been approaching me in the past but they have actually sponsored a couple of of my episodes both here and uh and 
Unparking the Bus, if you go back in the archives, there were some episodes that were presented by them. And uh, they approached me about producing content or creating content for them, contributing to their platform. Um, and this time I, I took them up on the offer, even though I am completely overworked and even though I have very little time, I found that I am able to put together a blog post. I they, they set the guidelines of what the minimum amount of content I needed to produce each week was. And it was something doable for me. And what it does is that that arrangement basically is funding now this project. So why I've kind of had to step away for a minute to establish that um, I, I'm doing all right over there in terms of, you know, making picks and picking winners, whether it's Champions League, Europa League, uh, Europa Conference, Premier League, La Liga, whatever. Uh, European football, big matches, the ones that, that the betters want to know about. I give my insights, and, I, and I'm and i learning the betting game a lot better than I used to know it, and it, it's making sense. The numbers side of it start to make sense. So I'm providing, you know, my, my, my insight and my, my uh, intuition, if you will, along with some of my numbers knowledge into, into what they call handicapping, into picking Winners, losers, uh, score lines, over-unders, things like that. Um, just trying to find the best value for the reader and for the listener and where I think they can make some money. And what that done is they now pay me monthly to do that. And it allows me to fund Mr. Benfica and parking the bus through that service. So basically, I now have a revenue stream that can, that can you know, insert cash into this project, which can allow me to do the things that I need to do to keep this podcast going. Um, for example, I'm having an issue with my normal mic again. Uh, I need another cord. I need a couple of a couple new pieces of equipment, and they're paying me a fair amount for what I'm for what they're asking for me. And basically, I'm taking all the money I make working for BTV. It goes directly into the podcast, so it it allows me to not dip any more of my own money or my family's money, essentially, that I need for, for my family, for bills, for food, for gas, gasoline prices, as everyone knows, are through the roof. It allows me to to not touch that anymore when I need something that is podcast related. So uh, that that's why you're getting that. I do appreciate, even if you're not into betting, when I tweet, when I post, to just, just retweet for me, throw me some likes. Uh, click on the link. Go to the website. You don't have to watch it. Just, just the better my numbers do, maybe the more money I can I can inject into this project here. So that's what that's all about. And I know a lot of you have have asked what's what's up with that. And basically, that's what's up with that. Um, so it's another gig in a sense. It's a third job for me, but it's something I can do in about you know an hour a day, less than an hour a day, three times a week, three four times a week. So uh, that where where I'm standing on that. That's uh, why you're seeing that. Of course, I would normally post that on my personal Twitter and not not necessarily on my Mr. Bayfica Twitter. But my audience that's interested, that's interesting to to them, obviously, is the audience that follows Mr. Bayfica, and um, so that's why the content is there. It's just to get it out to more people. So again, if you can, I do appreciate if you can retweet, like. Uh, Click on the links and just just view my my blog posts, my videos, 
whatever I post up there, all right? Uh, MrBigFica.com, I'm going to be updating that shortly. So by the time you hear this podcast, um, well, I'll update it as soon as Sporting's match this afternoon uh, is over, and the, the table will be updated. And I'm starting to work on making a, a recording and writing schedule so that I can start to create more written content as well to put up there. But again, this is a lot of work, and right now my time is so spare that uh, I'm just trying to make it work, trying to stretch it as much as I possibly can. Okay, back to Bayfica. Before we go into um, into the meat of the episode, if you will, a few things I do want to hit on. Um, I'm going to talk about the other sports real quickly, or the other departments within the club. Real quickly, the women's football team is flying high. They've won. Their match is now concluded. They have beaten Maritibu earlier today, 6-1 to one on the island of Madeira. Uh, now within basically three points of the title, six-point lead. Well, Spartans still has to play, so it's a nine-point lead right now. Spartan plays later today. Uh, Befica is scheduled to play Spartan, I believe, next Sunday, May the 2nd. Uh, I've tweeted it out. Sergio Ingracia over at, at Befica Independent had the original tweet. I remember sharing it or uh, retweeting it. There needs to be pressure put on the club to put this Befica Spartan women's football match at the Stadio de Luz next Sunday. And if they can't do it on Sunday, do it the f- do it on another day. Because here's the thing. The Clásico, Benfica Porto, in the Liga, Portugal, okay, the men's team, is the final match at Stadio de Luz this year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay? I believe it's the final match this year. Let me double check on that. But I'm pretty sure it's the final match to- that will take place at the Stadio de Luz this year. Um, looking at it now, I'm pulling it up as we speak. Um, uh, Benfica play Porto. Yeah, it's the final match at the Stadio de Luz this year. There is absolutely zero reason why the women can't play on the Stadio de Luz pitch after that Clásico with Porto. Okay, there is absolutely no reason why we can't play a potential title clinching match at the Stadio de Luz, so that the girls can get the result, win the title for the second year in a row, and lift the trophy. Again, if you have social media, let's put pressure on this club to do the right thing. Treat these women like the professionals that they are. Okay, they're they're playing. They're not. They've been basically kept away from the club. They're playing at Cova da Piedad. They've they've basically got to take, as they say in Portuguese, Uvara Casa Costas. They got to put their home in a backpack and carry it with them everywhere. They've played at Cova da Piedad. They've played at the Tapadinha. Sometimes they're lucky enough to play at the Seychelles. It's time for. Benfica Feminino to get to play at the Stadio de Luz this year. Remember last year when we won the title, it was at Alvalade. Sporting did the right thing and put the, the that match on the stage it belongs in. And that was last year when fans weren't even allowed in the stadium. Let's put this match in the Luz. Let's get the biggest women's football crowd ever in Portugal. Okay, it's time to break that record once and for all. Let's lift the trophy. Be be campeões. Be okay, be the, the champion for the second year in a row. Because that's where this department belongs. Now, I have set out some time later today to record an episode fully dedicated to the women's team. I will be doing that and releasing it later this week. Okay, so women's team victorious today. I'll get into the details in another episode. Also, the youth team, the U19s, finally, finally winning the UEFA Youth League on the fourth try earlier this week, beating Red Bull Salzburg. A very talented Red Bull Salzburg team, may I add. 6-0. Uh, 
after a tough, tough victory in the, in the semifinal over Juventus in a match where Befica was clearly up against the wall, having to play or having to play like an hour with uh, 10 men. Again, I've also set aside some time to record a youth team episode so I can give them also the attention and the spotlight that they deserve for the listeners. If you haven't followed this team, this is a great story. And um, I'll get into it in that episode, but I want everyone to be careful, okay? And please, slow your roll on putting ridiculous expectations on this youth team. This is a young team, okay? This is not, it's a U19, but the majority of them are 17 and 18 years old. This is, they, Befica tend to stick to the younger side of the youth brackets, okay? And this is a monumental, uh, a monumental accomplishment. And hopefully it puts to bed once and for all the talk of the most, of the, the stupid, quite honestly, the stupidest thing that exists in folklore, which is this this cur- this idea of a curse from Bella Gutman. It's absolutely stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, with all due respect, uh, it makes no sense. If you look at the European finals, we think I have lost. And you look at who they've played against. And if you even look at the European finals, Benfica have won. And I know this is the youth team, but people put this unnecessary pressure on these kids by bringing up this stupid curse, this uh, or the theory of this stupid curse. Because it doesn't exist. Um, even the two finals Befica won. If you watch closely. And a lot of people have not. They were underdogs in those matches too. Befica has always been the underdog. When they've gone into these finals. And people have removed that from the equation. and Just said we haven't won a European final. Because a former coach. Who, who let's be honest. Is the best coach in the history of this club. Back-to-back European Cups, okay? The equivalent to today's Champions League. And we have reduced this man and this man's legacy and this man's memory to a stupid theory of a curse. Let's knock that off. Let's knock it off. Let's stop with that. Again, it puts unnecessary pressure on on the team. And it put unnecessary pressure on on the team in 2013 and 2014 when we went into those those Europa League finals, okay? That there was the talk of this curse, which it just there's enough pressure when you play in those big matches. You don't need your own fans believing in these stupid theories, and um, you know, basically taking their their belief out of their players. I wanted to hit real quickly on Sandro Cruz. Congratulations to Sandro Cruz, uh, B team player who made his first team debut yesterday against Maritimo at the Barreiros, starting at left back. If you don't know by now, you should know. A week ago, uh, Sandro Cruz was the target. Or maybe it was two weeks ago. It's two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. He was the target of racial abuse from fans, specifically, and very easily to hear. At least a fan of Riwav at at uh, you know in Vila do Conte at their match. Um, Riwav has done absolutely nothing about it. Okay, Riwav has not issued an apology, to my knowledge. Hiwav has not condemned the behavior, to my knowledge. They've said that there's a report, that they've received a report of it. Now, there's no report. Anyone who watched the match live heard in plain sight, or it's not in sight, but you could hear very, very audibly, very clearly the voice of a fan making racial, you know, racist remarks towards Sandu Cruz. This is a kid that doesn't make it any it's not okay to talk like that to an adult either. That's not what I'm saying. But 
it's compounded even more so that you're doing this to a kid. And I have to give the kid all the credit in the world. Sungu Krush has handled this with the type of class that I know I myself would not be able to handle. Now, I'll let you guys into a story into in the past. Okay, um, One of my last coaching jobs before I was done, I was coaching at a high school in the city you know, here where I live. Um, and we it was an inner city high school and we were playing somebody. Okay, the majority of the kids I coached were either Ghanaian from Ghana themselves or their parents were from Ghana or they were from Ecuador, okay? Majority of the team, it broke down. I, I had, I think, one Jamaican kid. I had a whole, I had a, you know, I had the majority of the roster was either Ghanaian or Ecuadorian kids, okay? And there was a match where a parent from the other team said something. I didn't hear clearly because they were on the other side of the pitch. It was enough to set me off. I could have sworn I heard something. I asked the kid if if what I heard is what he heard. He said it was, and I lost my mind from the bench. Okay? I lost my mind. I told the referee I didn't want this game to continue. I told the referee that one of my players had 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 something said from a parent on the opposing team and I wanted that parent expelled and I absolutely lost my mind okay how this kid was able to keep his composure like that how he was able to be as graceful and as classy as he has been I I'm incredibly proud of Santo Cruz and he tweeted yesterday he's he has been throughout this whole process he has made very balanced, well thought out statements. Um, obviously, condemning the 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 behavior of this fan, but also he's been very thankful to Benfica Nation, to Benficistas for their support of him. And I have to call BS on Portuguese football once again because when it was Marega, we were all Marega. Remember that, and you can go back in the archives of this show and you can hear what I said. Okay. For a player, I had absolutely no, no good feelings for, Mare, uh, you know, Marega when he played for Port. However, I condemned that. I applauded him leaving the pitch. I applauded even Porto's, you know, or I, I think actually, if I remember correctly, I, uh, I didn't applaud the rest of his team going on. And letting him walk off the pitch and not all of them joining him. Um, however, now we're not all we're not all Santa Cruz. For some reason, the league is quiet. Once again, the the, the league and their communication, uh, you know, departments, their social com their social media departments. Nobody has come out to defend this kid. Not nearly in the way that Marega did. They say, I've heard the argument, oh, that's because Marego walked off the pitch. Well, Santo Cruz was being subbed off the pitch, okay? The condemnation of this behavior should not, should not be, you know, based on the reaction of the victim. That you do not take responsibility away from yourself or away from the perpetrator because the victim reacted differently than a previous victim. Chiwav should be forced to play 
behind closed doors for a lengthy amount of time. That is the only way to combat this. But the Liga Portugal has done absolutely nothing. And um, once again, disgraceful. And yet another example how this is not a football league. This is very much a political league. This is a political competition, whether it's in the first division and the second division. And, you know, Enrique Araujo, congratulations to him also after taking to his, his post-match flash interview to speak the truth about the referees. Again, I don't want to make this about referees, but this Benfica has taken this for too long. They are, And now that they're trying to fight back, you got people you know, saying, oh, they're only worried about referees. There's a well-known Twitter personality with a lot of followers who I've always thought was very good, but I have recently, you know, he has he has been on the wrong side of this for me. He has said that, you know, Benfica complaining about referees is, is, is you know, ignoring their, their shortcomings. No, Benfica has, should have been complaining about referees years ago. Befica should have been, and th again, this is a political competition and not a football competition. If you don't put the pressure on the referees, the referees continue to prejudicate, pre you know, prejudge, uh, prejudicate Benfica. It, it's absolutely true. If you can't see what has gone on on the pitch and realize, and not just Befica, sorry, not just Befica, they continue to to help one team consistently, okay? There is one team that seems to never be on the wrong side of any of this controversy, okay? And then their manager has the guts to come out and say that to win, no Valtu, that's not how everything goes. Yeah, right. That is the most hypocritical statement from the most hypocritical club. And I don't want to talk about this anymore because this is it is frustrating, but I feel like it keeps creeping its way back into the narrative. And I don't know how we clean up Portuguese football. I really don't. Again, like I said, as long as you know who up there in the north is, is alive and kicking and has his hand in the mixer, it seems to always go their way. Okay? And um, the only optimism, this sounds horrible, but it's the, it's the God honest truth is that when he's not around anymore is that this will get cleaned up. Um, he really should be expelled from football. Honestly, there, there's enough there. And they're not going there because if they uncover it, then they have to do something. So there you go. Uh, last bit, volleyball up two games to none in the Portuguese Volleyball Championship Finals over Sporting yesterday, winning three sets to one. Uh, game three is next week. Futsal lose to Barcelona in the Champions League semifinal. This was a frustrating, frustrating match to watch. Benfica up 3-0 at halftime. Find a way to... Find themselves down 4-3 with minutes to go. And then Shishkala comes off the bench as the flying keeper. Bifika managed to tie it very quickly. But then in extra time with 17 or so seconds left. Barcelona uh, score. They win. Barcelona will play later today against Sporting in the Futsal Champions League final. And I did say this to my father yesterday as we were watching this game over. And I said to him, you know. Um, if Sporting were not the best futsal team in the world, and and I think they're going to win again today against Barcelona, um, if they were not the best futsal team in the world, I think we would be very, very excited 
And we'd be very, very positive about how strong our futsal team is. The only downside is the best team in the world is in our league, in our city. And they are our rivals, and we seem to come second fiddle to them. Um, but at the same time, we, we uh, you know, we've let a lot of good players leave this team. And uh, hopefully the tide can start to turn at some point here. And Befica can find their way back to the top of Portuguese and European futsal. Okay, gonna take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the two. The I'm gonna talk about the derby first, actually, and um, then I'm gonna talk about the Liverpool matches. And then at the end of the show, I, finally, I have to hit on this. This is something I'm very excited about. Um, Roger Schmidt has. It's been confirmed now. The comunicado has come out. Roger Schmidt will be Benfica's manager next season. I'm very excited about this. I know not everyone is, but I'm very excited about it. And um, I'm a, I'll finish up the show talking about that. All right, here it's a quick little break, and I'll be right back. We'll we'll maybe we'll put uh, Sporting and the two Liverpool matches into one segment. Um, but overall, we're just gonna come up to speed and get ready for the final two matches of this season, and uh, see where this takes us. I'm excited for Roger Schmidt coming on. Uh, I'll tell you why a little bit later. This is Mr. Benfica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agostinho. Follow the show on Twitter at Benfica Mister. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Mike Agostinho. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. All right. And check out www.mrbenfica.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 137, Mr. Benfica. All right, we're going to zero in on one of the more important matches of the past month. We're going to start here today. Uh, the Derby at José Alvalade. Sunday, April the 17th was the date. 
front of 40,714 fans in the stadium. Befica, two nil winners on the day against the arch rival, or you know, the lesser of the two rivals, if you ask me. But for some people, you know, if you're if you're my if you're my grandfather's age, I think there's still your or you live in Lisbon. If you live in Lisboa, I, I could see how this is a bigger rivalry for you. I don't know if it is or not, but I could see where that would be a bigger rivalry. But um for me this has always been the lesser of the two rivals, um, simply because the feelings I have about the other one are just so much stronger and so much uh more um well, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh this is uh, Benfica's 11 in this one. Okay, well, actually, I'll start with Sporting's 11 here for this one. Sporting came out in a 3-4-3. Huben Amuri sent out Adan, obviously, in goal. Uh, a little bit of a change at the back because Sporting were missing some key players. But you have you have Neto starting as the right center back. Kowach in the deep-lying center role, center center back, with uh, with uh, Inasiu as the, as the left center back. The four in front, okay, the double pivot of Mateusz, Luiz, and João Palinha. Uh To the left is, of course, this Nuno Santos show I'm sure I'm going to get into in, in a minute. But what did anybody ever do to this guy to turn him into the absolute jerk that he has become? Um, but he gets the start on the left, and uh, Porro gets the start down the right. And then the three in attack, Paulinho is the striker with... Pot to his left and Sarabia to his right. Now Pot, um, clearly not having the same sophomore season he had last year uh, when he broke into the first team, or it, it, his first, I should say, his first season with the club. He had a uh, pretty good, a very good actually season the the year before with Fumalico, but um, this season he's gone a bit missing, and in this match he was quite missing. Um, Sarabia, of course class absolute class in that player and um uh you know he's going he's on loan from psg sporting will not have him next year they can't afford him um of course when you don't pay your bills i guess you can afford anybody right when you don't pay Befica's, uh Befica comes out in a four two three one ish type of lineup uh, at least as it's set up here on FOTMOB. But uh, Vlacodimos gets the start in goal. Uh, Gilberto was the right back. Otamendi, Vertonghen in the center. And Grimaldo across, uh, as the left back. Double pivot of Weigel and some Moroccan guy. No, I'm just kidding. Double pivot of uh, Weigel and Terapt in the center of midfield. And yes, for those of you that, I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. But no, I did not stop doing in the podcast. Because Tarapt had one good game against Bisad. No. Against Bisad, I have no issue with Tarapt playing. It's the other times he plays that bothers me. Anyway, um, in front of them, too, Diogo Gonçalves, Gonçalo Ramos, and Everton Subolinha playing behind the very informed striker, Darwin Nunez, the current uh, top scorer in the Portuguese league. Very much informed is Darwin Nunez. And uh, Befica. As you know, managed by Nelson Verissimo here at the tail end of his of his um, his interim reign here, but uh, but if you could come out here and I think they surprised Sporting a little bit with this lineup. Okay, um, starting Diogo Gonçalves, I saw the reactions of all of these people on Twitter just going crazy. Uh, I wanted to talk about Diogo Gonçalves for a minute, and Diogo Gonçalves is, is somebody who 
I'm not going to sit here and say he's played well. I'm not going to sit here and say he's he's deserves to play more, but he is definitely a victim of circumstance. He had the misfortune of a prior manager deciding to convert him into a wing back, into a right back, and for a year and a half, that's that's what he worked at. And at times, he was our best option there. However, injuries got the best of him, and he missed a lot of time. And in the in in the interim, uh, Gilberto became Gilberto Carlos. He he won the hearts of Benfiquistas. He won over the manager, both Jorge Jesus and Nelson Verissimo. Gilberto won over that position in the meantime. And uh, you know, JJ gets the sack. Nelson Verissimo takes over, and, and you have to say, along with João Mario, Diogo Gonçalves is maybe the most disfortunate. Um, of the members of the team with that coaching change, he kind of lost his role. He kind of lost his place. Uh, but he's 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 picked here, and he has he has seen some time this season since uh, Verissimo took over, especially later on. Um, but if those are the two guys that lost with the managerial change, which also remember coincides with a a system change, we went from the three man the three the back three that I still think is a better functioning system than the one we're playing. And um, I think the amount of goals we've given up is evidence of that, but that's a different topic for a different day. And I think Nelson Verissimo was given different objectives to reach. I've said this since the beginning. Everybody is judging him based on what they think his job is or what was outlined for him. And I think he was given different orders. I really do. I think he was told to develop certain players. Because the guy who's won the most from this change has been Gonzalo Ramos and Darwin as well. But uh, Gonzalo Ramos gets inserted into this number ten position here behind the striker, a position that we did not use before, essentially. Uh, and he he does a good job filling in the gaps between the lines. He does a good job tracking back and defending when necessary. He gets up and support in the attack. He doesn't always have great games. I, I understand that, but he is a young player. And uh, we have to have patience for our young players. And again, if if you're going to have patience for Tarap's two goals and six assists in, in five seasons, you need to have patience for a 21-year-old homegrown player who is still molding into a professional. This is a guy with an upside, unlike the latter that I that I uh, mentioned just a moment ago, whose name I don't really like to say, and who, as far as I'm concerned, can't get out of this club fast enough. Um, this, when I watch this, we we literally have we have unless the ball are at Adel, the ball is at Delta Rap's feet, we're playing with ten. Okay, I've heard he's creative. He creates. You know what he creates? He creates turnovers. He gives the ball to the other team. He creates odd man rushes against us. Okay, one in nine. Tries, he's going to connect a dangerous pass that's going to play a guy in behind. The other eight, it's going the other way against us. I'm sorry. If a player, if you want a player to play with no defensive responsibilities, and I've heard the excuse that that's how he's always played. Well, he, he's he's sat more than he's played in his career. Let's be honest here. Not just at Benfica. Okay, he has sat more than he has played. And if you want to have a player that has no defensive Responsibilities, a free-flowing player, a player that almost doesn't exist in the modern game. To be brutally honest with you, that type of player that doesn't have to worry about coming back, that doesn't have to worry about uh, tracking, doesn't have to worry about marking, who can just roam free, find spaces. 
he has to produce more on the other end. The risk you take in allowing a player that type of liberty has to produce more than two goals and eight assists in four, I think it's four or four and a half, five seasons, whatever he has been at this club for, okay? And this season, he's got one goal and four assists. I'm sorry. That is just not enough in, if that's what you expect him to have. And then if you want to argue that he's worked hard to, to get back, perhaps, but he's not effective. He's just not effective. And honestly, like this, seeing this guy on the field takes it takes enjoyment of the match away from me. The second I I see him put on that that stupid number forty nine jersey and take the pitch, this guy for me cannot get out of this club fast enough. And I don't like to say that about players, but he's more than had his chance. He's overstayed his welcome. He has not produced. He's on a fairly high salary. I would rather have a twenty one year old. In that position, a Paul Bernardo, a 20-year-old, whatever, making mistakes but getting better because there is an upside. There is no upside to a Delta Rap. There is no future with a Delta Rap. His career is on the down. It is it is on the fast track downward. And the problem is, who's going to take him? Let's be honest. We, we've had him at the club all this time. We've had almost no offers for him. I can't remember a single serious offer or inquiry made about the services of this player. Maybe I've heard that maybe Major League Soccer is has teams interested in him. Man, it, it, I'd drive him to the airport myself if I could, um, because he's just he's just blocking the progress of prospects that could still get better and that could give something to this team in the long haul. We're not going to get anything in the long haul from him, and he just doesn't give enough in the short term to to warrant that that place. Vertonghen and Otamendi aren't giving us anything in the long haul either, but. They are the best we have right now, and they are actually providing something in the short term right now. We got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, okay, in large part because of the work of Vertonghen and Otamendi, okay, defensively. Tarapt had no role in us in us getting anywhere in the Champions League. The best thing he did was get yanked at halftime in the second leg against Ajax, which allowed us to bring on a more, a more proper midfielder, and it shored up the midfield and allowed us to, to hold the match to hold the IX at bay and allow us a chance that when we did get the the uh, you know when we did get the off off the run kind of goal the against the run excuse me kind of goal um, that came somewhat out of nowhere we were able to lock down and defend so that that's just I'm hoping this is the last time I have to talk about this player to be honest with you I I hope that I don't have to talk about him anymore all right so the match was again it was a two nil victory for Benfica. Uh, Darwin gets on the score sheet very early. Um, I'm looking at the the match notes here. Of course, this was quite a while ago. But Darwin gets on the score sheet, and his goal comes in the 14th minute on a counterattack. Uh, Super Jan Vertonghen. I just talked about Jan Vertonghen has about as many assists now as <laughs> as a Delta Rap. He did more in this match than a Delta Rap by playing that ball in behind and getting Darwin in on goal. Darwin uh, is able to get in behind. On the bounce, he puts it over Adan and puts Befica in the lead at the Alvalad. A little bit shocking to the Spartacus. And to be honest, Sporting really didn't react. And, um, well, I think Huben Amorin kind of got a lot of things wrong in this match. But also, you know, everybody, if you listen, everybody agreed, and I agree, that for what I know of this team, I don't know a lot about Sporting. I've not watched them a lot. I'm not going to pretend I have. But 
Ugarte, for me, makes a lot more sense than uh, João Painha. And for whatever reason, they opted to go with Painha in this one. And he, he was just not him. He was not what he has been in the past. And Befica were able to take advantage of that. I mean, Sporting had a whole boatload of possession, but they did nothing with it. I've said it all the time. You know, possession without context is, is completely useless. And Sporting showed this in this match. Um, again, there's there's the Nuno Santos kicking uh, kicking Gilberto in the face. I don't know how. I, I can see how the referee might have missed it. Although, if my memory serves me correct, it was Fabio Barissimo refereeing this match. Who should, again... He shouldn't even be allowed to ref my son's U6 matches, okay? That's how bad of a referee he is. and I. But I can get him not seeing it on the first glance. And then somehow the VAR, which is, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, Ugo Miguel, who, again, has no business anywhere near a football match. He's, he's on the VAR. He he doesn't see anything anyway. He probably must have gone must have gone to the to the restroom. Must have gone to the toilet when uh, this happened because he completely missed it. I don't know how Pedro San uh, yeah Pedro Santos stays on the field in this match. Uh, and I really don't know what his problem is. He's he's been like this lately. It started when when they won the title last year. Nobody insulted him. Nobody. Did I say Pedro Sanchez? I meant Nuno Sanchez. Um, nobody has given him. Nobody chants his name. It, it, you know, Benfica fans don't chant his name wrongly. They don't insult him. I don't know what his problem is. It started with the the scarf saying, you know, Gracias a Deus no sou Lumpion. Thank God I'm not Lumpion. Thank God I'm not a Benfica. For whatever reason, because he is. And it was here that he played his his football. It was here that he came up through the ranks. It was with Benfica that he he got all of his you know all of his football formation. When he was injured, it was Benfica who rehabbed him back to his, to the place where they could then allow him to leave and go play at another club. I think it was Vitória Stubel at that time, and then he moved on after that towards Rioav. But he would not be playing professional football today if not for Benfica. Yet he has this this need to always insult and instigate he's turned into an Otavio 2.0 and I don't I don't get it there's no reason for it nobody nobody said anything about him but uh he's making him uh, maybe he's just trying to make himself relevant um it stays one nil and Ruben Amorim decides to make four substitutions here uh he makes two in the 59th two in the 69th uh fortunately for us he he waited a long time to bring on Marcus Edwards that guy has given us trouble when he plays when he played for Vitória Guimarães, he gave us trouble on different occasions. And now, you know, he also brings in Slimani, which for, for Pot, Pot, like I said, was invisible in this match. And Slimani really changed absolutely nothing. He really was not what they needed. It worked for us. It was good. Um, we get four Befica substitutions after Spartans four. Paul Bernard comes in for Adele Tarapt. Uh, au revoir to Tarap. Um, eh, I'm not going to get into the fact that he still doesn't know Portuguese after not even a word after six years. Um, but I was going to say something. But anyway, and Gilles Diaz comes on for Everton. And Tarap gets a yellow on his way off the pitch, which was the most productive thing he did in the match. Uh, Andre Almeida comes on in the 82nd for some unknown reason. I guess Diogo Gonçalves couldn't go again. One of his big problems. Both Diogo Gonçalves and for much of the season Gilberto too, 
not fit enough to play 90 minutes. And uh, here, Dio gets subbed off. Andre Almeida comes on for whatever reason, plays as a sort of right center back, okay? And Befica kind of go to a five across the back here towards the end to hang on to the result. And we get João Mario in for Gonçalo Ramos, and that makes sense because João Mario is a player that holds the ball. Playing against his former club, we didn't really get into that. I know he dropped off big time after JJ's, JJ's departure. No question about it that the change in system did not work for him. Um, there's a number of players that I think can make that that argument. But I've also heard that, that Roger Schmidt is a is a fan of Joel Mario, so we'll see we'll see what happens next season and if he plays in a four three two one, uh there there could be room for the type of Joel Mario we got in August and September to return. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not gonna speculate, but um of course ninetieth plus two, this was the play of the match. Um uh, you know, absorbing pressure but on the counter it's Darwin down the left where he does so much damage, and he finds Gildias. Gildias picks his head up and spots the ball perfectly and beats Adan. 2-0, Gildias fulfills every Benfica kid's dream, okay? You can say what you want about this guy. You can say how poor he is or how little he played or he didn't. He was over. You can say whatever you want about him, but every Benfica as a kid that is playing in his backyard, dreams of doing what Gilles Diaz did in this match, and what Adelta Raps, quite frankly, never done. He scores a goal against Sporting, against the rival. Okay, in their house, shushes Sporting fans, kills any last gasp hope they have of winning the title. Benfica win 2-0. Um, again, this game is three, four weeks in the past. So it's hard to go back and talk about specifics. But I just remember, I remember Benfica without possession controlling the match very comfortably. Keeping the the play in front of them. The back line playing very tight. Playing, um, you know, playing real clean. Sporting had one good chance. If my memory serves me, it was Sarabia who put it off of the bar. And I believe he was offside on that play. Again, my memory has to go way back to get that. But I, I remember... It being a pretty effective matchup, uh, a pretty effective performance, rather, for Befica in that match. And I remember seeing, you know, the state. I remember watching the match on television, and to the right of one of the goals was an empty stand. And I'm wondering to myself if they hadn't let Befica fans in. Of course, once we got a goal, I noticed uh, there they are. There's the Befica fans at the opposite corner. Uh, but an entire stand left empty for some reason. I'm not up to date on what goes on at that club, so I don't know why that a certain section was left empty. But I do know from people in my circles that, that were at this match or in and around this match or people that they knew that were at the match that Befica fans got in quite late. The, the um, what do they call it now? The, the walk from Stade de Luge to which is a short walk, but but they made it take about three and a half or four hours because the police, you know, would stop them every so many so many meters, and they put them in groups of I don't know two hundred, I think is what I heard, and and they dragged it out for a long, long time, and the match was starting, the fans were still outside, the process was still playing out, they didn't let them in. Um, again, 
Portuguese football at its finest. Uh, they can't figure out crowd security. They can't figure out. They can't figure out match day operations. They can't figure out refereeing. They can't figure out how to schedule matches. They can't figure out a TV schedule that works. They can't figure out how to treat everyone that's not one of the big three teams professionally and appropriately. They cast them aside. Really, really embarrassing season all around in Portuguese football this year from a league standpoint. Um, just a lot just done poorly. Suspensions coming down eight, nine months after the, the offense occurs. You know, uh, huge discrepancy in penalty kicks and who gets them and who doesn't. And again, it's just a real bad look. And, and Pedro Proença needs to be sacked from his position as the president of the league. You need somebody in there that is going to get this league in order. Someone who's not afraid of the guys up north and not not a buddy-buddy with them either. Someone who's not afraid of even our club. I know our club, it's hard to be afraid from our club because we don't talk at all. We don't stand up for ourselves until it's far too late. And then when we do, we come across like like babies, essentially. We come across like like sore losers when, when it really goes way back beyond that and it was it was a lack of action from so long that made our club so we're just stepped on and disrespected by everybody and anybody again going back to teams not allowing our fans to wear our colors in their stadium and it it really something needs to be done i don't know how he, you, you begin to do it but the the more intelligent people at the head of of fan groups and the you know influential people that are Benfica fans need to start throwing ideas out there, whether it's to boycott away games or it's to stop supporting your local club. You know, maybe maybe the Benficas in Madeira need to not support Maritum, need to 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 protest, I don't know, maybe just not buy tickets when Maritum plays somebody else. I have no idea what Maritum's attendances look like the rest of the season. Uh, I'm assuming they're not very high because nobody really has uh, good attendance in this league outside of the big the big five, as I call them. When it comes, especially when it comes to support, there are five teams that have real support, and th there's good support for small clubs. But by and large, um, by and large, you Benfiquistas in the amount of people that we are. And the amount of Benfiquistas that live in Portugal and travel to these matches. They have more collective power than we're using, whether it's commercial, whether it's, uh, you know, vocal. There's more collective power there than is being used. And Benfica, you know, Benfica fans, I should say, may need to find a way to, to stand up for the club and stand up for themselves to stop being exploited. What these clubs do is exploitation of Benfica's fandom, jacking jacking prices up maybe you you have to take a season where you don't buy those tickets and you know what should happen and if it doesn't happen it's because somebody's funding this is you don't buy them until you know and you and you you make that home club lower those prices when tickets go unsold right up to the minute and you wait till they lower those prices and if those prices don't drop there's pretty good evidence that in itself would be pretty good evidence for suspicion that somebody somebody is is acting as an insurance policy for these types of prices if it backfires and nobody goes 
somebody is going to buy them up, I have a feeling. Um, and I have a feeling I know which club is probably behind it. And we've talked about suitcases full of money before. We've talked about the Malitish. But there's definitely something going on here. But as the match ends at the 90th plus four, Benfica get the win. Um, to finish what was a very good week for Benfica, uh, they they win this one. The next, I believe it was the next day at al Shit, Benfica's U19s beat Spartans in the UEFA Youth League quarterfinals. Um, Benfica had beaten Sporting in basketball that weekend as well or in the weekend prior. We had quite a run of form here against Sporting in, in different sports. And it culminated here with the football team winning and basically ending their hopes of repeating as, as champions. The unfortunate side of that is it means that somebody else is going to be the champion. And really, that's the worst thing possible for Portuguese football is the team that's actually going to be champion. But we'll look at some of the statistics for this match. As, uh, again, Benfica get themselves, you know, they get themselves within six points of Sporting with with enough matches to go to maybe get something out of it. But in the end, it doesn't it doesn't play out because in the end, Benfica would just would just drop points in the next round against Fumalico and they would basically end any chance of getting to second place. So, uh, I mean, so this was a long time ago, but it was a day in a week where it felt good to be a Benfica, all things considered. A lot of that was because the previous week against Liverpool, okay, we had something like this happen. Have a listen here to the sound at Liverpool following Benfica's quarterfinal of the UEFA Champions League second leg. was the sound of Benfica supporters at Anfield, at historic Anfield. That was about 15 minutes after the match ended, everybody. Uh, the play, the stadium was empty except for the Benfica fans. I shouldn't say 15 minutes after the match. 15 minutes after the players retreated to the team rooms and uh, the Benfica fans still celebrating, still showing their appreciation. And, for, and to be honest, probably making the most of their trip to Liverpool. Uh, Benfica Working hard in this in this uh, this UEFA Champions League quarterfinal tie with Liverpool. Obviously, the odds were long, and the 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 stack was deck the deck was stacked against Benfica, taking on the team that I believe truly is right now the best team in world football. That's playing the best football in world football right now. They're on the best form, I should say, which is Liverpool and. Um, but if you could do themselves any favors in the first leg, let's be honest, they played hard, but they didn't. They allowed uh, a little bit too much to such a strong team. Um, this tie with Liverpool exposed all the shortcomings that there are in our team. But at the same time, um, at the same time, the effort and the fight that this team showed across those 180 minutes 
made the supporters appreciative. Okay. And I, for one, appreciated the effort in this tie. They could have laid dead. Listen, our rivals got embarrassed by this team this year. Okay. They got absolutely humiliated. And we, we stood tall with Liverpool. I mean, we gave some we gave some things away. Odie Odie you can you can put the blame on him for a couple of those. And we 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 approach this these two matches, I think, the same way we approach the IX matches. The difference is we ran into a team that's much better at basically what we're very poor at defending, which is the crossing game. And Liverpool with Alexander Arnold and with Robertson just just you know whipping crosses in wherever they want, finding players on the end. Canute, you know, his first goal. He 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 was on form there, Matt getting goals, I think, in three straight matches. Um he also gave us a little bit of a break when he when he completely made a he made a complete mess of one of them. It, it, it that came across. He's defending the ball. Came across. Uh, I want to. I, I want to say it was Diogo Salves that played it across. I could be wrong about that. No, it was, it was Rafa. Excuse me. Rafa played it across. I haven't even gotten to talk about Rafa yet, but uh, I do believe we've seen the last of Rafa at Befica. But he 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 whipped one across that that Canute couldn't couldn't uh, handle. It went through. Found Darwin, and Darwin then found the back of the net. And then there were shouts that made it three to one there in the home leg, or made it two to one at that time. One to, no one to one, excuse me. That made it one to one at that time, if I'm not mistaken. And it was two to one. Befica then you know tried to get into it, and it was two to one because then we had an opportunity where we thought maybe we were going to get a chance to pull level. Uh, Darwin taken down by Virgil Van Dyke, and I think that it, again, like I said about. The penalty not given to us against Fumalico. The same principle goes true here, and I won't use I won't use Porto as the example. I'll just say if that was Liverpool at Anfield, and Mane or Salah or Diogo Jota did that, and Otamendi stuck his arm out and made contact with him, it would have been a penalty against us. The referees don't have the courage to make that call against Liverpool in a game like this. It would have made it two to one. It would have made it two to two. And who knows? We could have gotten out of there with a two to two result. Could have changed the whole trajectory of this this round, but it didn't happen. Liverpool would find another one, and they would win three to one in the first leg. So we go into the second leg at Anfield, and you think it's it looks like one of these matches where it's just for pride, but it's exactly what it was. And you know what? Benfica showed up, and Benfica played for pride, which is something they have lacked in a lot of their matches outside of Europe. I mean, in the European matches this year in the Champions League. They have showed incredible character. Uh, you look at it now, you have the four qualifying matches in your, uh, for this Champions League, the six group stage matches, and the four knockout matches. That's a total of 14 football matches. That were probably Benfica's best 14 football matches. Maybe you can pull one out here or there. The two against Bayern, you can maybe throw away. Um, but again, they... They tried against Bayern. They tried to play with them. They did as well as anyone else did at that stage in the season. I don't believe if Benfica plays Bayern here in this quarterfinal that they're losing 5 or 4 nil. Uh, I think the, the round would have gone much more the way this one did with Liverpool. But 
And that's not all due to Befica. Bayern have slowed down, and they're not quite on the same form they were. But outside of the two Bayern matches, I think Befica played their best football in the Champions League, obviously. And if you take a minute and realize, Benfica only lost three matches in the entire Champions League this season out of 14. They lost to twice to Bayern and this and once to Liverpool. That's a, not a bad record. You can you can leave the competition with your held head high on on that. Now again, there's no such thing as moral victories, and Benfica does not advance. So it's it's not that that demonstration from the supporters was a celebration of tying a match. Darwin actually played his tail off in both of these matches and really showed everybody in the UK just how good of a prospect he is. And I, I said, any chance we had of keeping him went out the window. I think first with the goal against Ajax because that brought all the attention to him. And then with these two matches and the two performances he put in, I think we lost any chance of keeping Darwin. And it's it's sad to me because I think there's so much left. There's so much more we could get from him if we could keep him a little longer. Some don't, A lot don't agree with me. A lot of people think that this is a one-year thing and we should sell him. I don't think so. Again, I look at it this way. We signed him to a five-year contract, okay? And I said a year ago that this was not for overnight success. Again, if we got had gotten overnight success last season, we would have lost him last season because we know that our board and our club will sell when the price is right. They will not refuse. They will not refuse to sell, you know, if the price is right as we see it. And unfortunately, you know, I think the price would go up if we if we sat on it a little longer. They have different viewpoints, and I've never really been a fan of Befica's business model lately. They really, um, for me, they sell too many guys too early out of fear of losing value in that player. Whereas I could see keeping Darwin for another season, um, especially with the World Cup in November, his value could shoot up. But the other side of the coin and something that the majority of people outside of the club and outside of professional football do not grasp because I've tried to, to, to have conversations with people and it just doesn't resonate. It's the power of the agents, okay? And I say this now where I we can we now do know that uh, Mino Raiola has passed away, one of the super agents whose death, you know, was was prematurely announced throughout social media and through through traditional media. They're you know, they're both to blame for the poor poor reporting. Uh, enough that one of the last things he did on this earth was get pissed off at, at everyone reporting he was dead when he wasn't, supposedly. That's what we're being told. But the role of the agent is much more powerful than the will of a club to keep a player. Okay, In this modern game, you cannot stop a player from moving once. Once the agent has put it in that player's head, and even if the player wants to stay, a lot of times the will of the agent wins out because the agent is hired to... He's not hired to make the player happy, per se. He's hired to make the player rich. And they have contracts signed between the player and the, the agent. Okay, and there are agreements they've made. And a player can't just refuse a move and deny his agent, you know, his... his share of a fee it's a business agreement you can't it's not just someone it's it's not like a player who's being represented by a family member 
for example. But I do. I actually think that um, Darwin's father is one of the one of the people in in Darwin's management team. But again, when I heard that the agent had said that Darwin is looking to play in a in the Premier League. At that point, I knew he was gone. There was no way we were going to keep him unless an injury kept him from moving, unless his form dipped so much that interest fell off. But it didn't. He, he elevated his game at that point. And it, it's sad to me because he's going to leave without winning a single a single trophy here with us. And, um, yeah, he's going to make us a lot of money. And, unfortunately, transfer fees have replaced trophies as the as the you know the priority at this club. I was hoping this was going to change with with some of the changes we've made, but you know a lot of you will say that Rui Costa is just a, a continuation of Vieira, and selling players. You know, in my opinion, early. Other people think it's it's take it while it's hot because a lot of people don't believe that Darwin is worth the money that people are willing to pay him, pay for him. So they believe that he's overpriced right now, and we should cash in. But I really think we could have gotten more. If we held on at least one more year, but maybe I'm wrong because we've held on to players in the past and their value has completely plummeted. And the truth is Roger Schmidt is going to come in and he's going to want new players or at least he's going to have a list of players he wants. And those players are going to cost money. So hopefully in selling Darwin, and I think we're going to sell Rafa as well. um, Grimaldo is going to leave if not on a free for a very low price uh, transfer. He's got one year left on his contract. He has told the club he does not want to renew. Uh, he has the opportunity from, by what everyone, all accounts point that he's going to return to Barcelona to play for Xavi and um, to play at the Camp Now That's his club. I can't I can't fault uh, Grimaldo for that. That That is his club. That is, You know, the way we feel about Benfica, he feels about Barca, and he's got an opportunity to go back there. He left all those years ago to make a play for himself. And if he ever wants to play for the Spanish national team as a left back, he's got to play for Barcelona and not for Benfica. He's got to at least play in La Liga. He's the opportunity to go to Barcelona. Um, and he's been a good he's been a good serviceman for Benfica in his time here. He has done what the club has asked. He's had good games. He's had bad games. But he has always, um, I think he has always played hard. I think he at times get he got a little sensitive with fans' criticism, but but in the end, I think he was a good a good example of a Benfica player. I think he he put in his shift, as we say here in the United States. Uh, he he represented the club well. So I'm hoping that with with one year left on his contract, we can get some kind of. Some kind of fee for him. Uh, again, it's almost impossible in this day and age to stop a player from moving. And it, it also gives your club a bad reputation when you do that, and it makes it harder to get players in here. So with, I think, with the, with you know, incoming transfer fees for, for Darwin, Rafa, and if we can get anything for Grimaldo, I'm hoping that that will be the budget. Um, I'm hoping we don't sell Gonzalo Ramos yet. Again, same thing. I think it's too soon. I think his potential is still, you know, there's still a lot there. I understand that 50 million euros is a lot of money. Um, I don't know how Roger Schmidt feels about him either as a player, but 
maybe he won't fit the model that Roger Schmidt wants to play. I don't know. Uh, I guess that has to be taken into account. But I don't just want our club to start and certain supporters in our club to start bragging about the amount of money that that we've earned in transfers. That That's not appealing at this point. That's all we talk about lately. We have very few titles and lots of high-priced transfers, uh, lots of sales. And it clearly is not leading to an on-the-field on success. Uh, with the sale of João Felix a few seasons ago, back when we started this podcast, you know, that astronomical amount of money, I think, was poorly invested in players that have not, for the most part, you know, done their their part. And really, this Darwin Nunez transfer really kind of saves face <laughs> for all the money that was invested. It kind of makes up for all the money lost in, in uh, you know, in, in the Felix money, as I call it, uh, that was used to bring on, you know, several players at very high prices. I don't know if Feigl is going to be here next season. Uh, I'm a big fan of the player. I think everyone that listens to the show knows that. Um, I don't know. how. Again, I think Roger Schmidt is probably going to like to have a German in the middle of the park for that, that he can communicate easily with in his native language. And I don't know how he feels about Weigel as a player, though. So who knows? And if Weigel has the opportunity to go back to the Bundesliga and to maybe play, you know, if he can have a good start to the season and and get himself, you know, in the eye, in the in on the screen, and get himself in the mind of the German national team coach, you know, he's Hansi Flick. If he can get into Hansi Flick's, you know, feed, so to speak, if he can get into his world and maybe make a case for himself, he's gonna want to do that. Um, I'd like to keep the player, but I don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna fare in that system, and I think we need. We do need more aggressiveness in that midfield, and um, you know whether it's an Al Musarati or it's a—I don't—I'm still holding out hope for a for a Florentino comeback because I think that kid has has talent. I think that kid has intelligence, um, and I think he just needs a, an opportunity, and he needs to be trusted. It's not just an opportunity where the first time you make a mistake you get yanked. He needs to be trusted in order to to really give. Uh, the manager a a good account of himself, but you know I don't know what again I don't know what the plan is from Roger Schmidt's point of view. I don't know how much he's thought about this Benfica project at all yet because he's still in the midst of a battle for the Dutch league title with with Ajax. It's it's almost over now, and I think they're they're close to to Ajax is close to beating them to the finish line. And possibly after that, he'll start to look more at this Benfica project and start to wonder about what kind of players he wants here. But that is, you know, that leads into this final this final portion of the episode, and that is what I had just said, that Roger Schmidt has been confirmed as the next Benfica manager. I personally am very excited about this. I know not everyone is. A lot of people are, actually. The overwhelming majority of Benficaistas, at least the ones that I follow and the ones that find their way into my feeds, are happy about this. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement around the thought of a German manager. I share in that excitement. I've seen a few that that are, don't quite share. One of them happens to be one of my former players, who uh, who I've said and I've I've always told him, and and he knows 
that he's the best player I ever worked with. And I, I, you know, he's a former MLS player, played in Iceland, played in, uh, played in the Portuguese third division, I think, but he's the best player I I've ever worked with, you know, as a coach, um, on a personal level. And I respect his opinion a lot. And he's, he's very critical of the fact that Roger Schmidt has not been a winner. You know, he's, he's got a, a, a decade's worth of, managerial experience and one league title to show for it. I tend here here's my my response to that a little bit is that when when your manage when your coaching career or your management career takes place in the Bundes when you've spent time in the Bundesliga and in the Eredivisie in the Dutch and in the and in the German league and you're not Bayern Munich and you're not Ajax it's very hard to win anything. No matter how great of a manager you are, uh, when he was at Red Bull Salzburg, he won the the Austrian league. He actually started this ten this decade of dominance that that RB uh, Salzburg has been on, uh, where they've won, I believe, now ten Austrian leagues in a row. It's not the strongest league I know, but it is a a style of play that I, that I like the the RB style, the Leipzig and and Salzburg and. And to a lesser extent, but still, they try to do it at, at Bragantino in Brazil. You know, the Red Bull style, I've said before, I'm a fan of. And if he can bring some of that, some of that intensity to Benfica, I think Benfica's ability to get a much more talented team than the majority, if not all, of our opponents. I still think, as bad as this season went, Benfica has more talent in their roster than Sporting or Porto. I really, I still believe it. We finished, we stand right now 14 points behind Porto, not because of a lack of talent. It's a lot of other factors that have left us behind. Yeah, it's, we have talent. We're just not constructed properly, okay? So it, I think a good manager with an, uh, a mindset coming from outside of Portugal, outside of the Portuguese mentality, if he can add two or three, four key components, key players, and different mentalities into this team in key areas, I think he can turn Benfica into a monster, to be honest. We've got good young talent coming through the through the pipeline. I want to see more of Gonzalo Ramos. I want to see more of Enrique Araujo. I want to see more of Paulo Bernardo. I, I want to see more of Sandro Cruz. So, uh, you know, I think, and this is a manager who has a history of integrating youth players into the first team and bringing them through that process. And I think from this day forward, every manager Benfica hires has to be able to do that. Okay, we cannot go get another JJ, and I'm not even blaming JJ because we knew what he was when we hired him, and the we broke the model out of desperation. And we gambled on the fact that he was going to turn everything around the way he did in the first go round. It did not happen. He lost the locker room. He he he. You know he he lost the players fairly quickly, to be honest. Less than two full seasons, and he lost the team. And um, we need a manager who has a different personality, who plays a different brand of football, but who is also aware. That we have the best youth academy in the world right now. We are producing the best and and we are producing the highest volume of quality players right now out of anybody. We're, we're I tr I really believe in the last two, three years, we are right there with La Masia. We are right there 
okay, with any any English academy. Chelsea comes to mind because they've, you know, they've they've just put through a, a boatload of great world class players into the first team when you talk about and now they're at other clubs as well when you talk about the Tammy Abrahams and the Mason Mounts and the Reese Jameses that have come through the Chelsea program. You you see it at Barcelona as well with the Gavis and the Pedris and and those guys. I think Benfica have uh, they have the ability and they have the talent to do that in a much weaker league especially. It's it's an even you know better launch pad for young players, but it has to be directed by the right manager. And I do believe that from what I know of Roger Schmidt that he is much better for that role than, you know, than say a a Abel Fajeda or a a uh, I don't know, just a, a, maybe a Leonardo Jardim, but those, we didn't get those guys, and I think it was it was the right time to go beyond the borders of Portugal and bring in a different mentality, a different idea, a different philosophy, and if we can instill some different aspects, we can we we can turn this thing around next season, and I'm hopeful, and I am looking forward to just seeing the differences. Hopefully, there will be positive differences made. And I am looking forward to seeing the changes that he makes, the the tactics that he chooses to play. If we're going to be able to successfully press higher up the pitch, if we're going to be able to to attack a certain way, the way that everyone wants to see it happen, um, I'm very I'm very excited about that. So um, yeah, these last two matches can't come soon enough, and hopefully, you know, we can get some time off to to get away from the frustration during the summer and come back. In July, and get ready to go. Okay, real quickly, I'm going to go down the table right now. 32 matches in. Uh, Sporting have won. So, uh, Sporting have beaten... Have beaten... Uh, who did they play today? <laughs> Sporting have won today. That's all that matters. Uh, so, Porto are still not champions. They're six points ahead. So, they're going to want a, a draw next week at the very least. So, we need to beat Porto to keep them from from celebrating on our pitch next Saturday. But Porto lead with 85 points. Sporting second with 79. Benfica, as you know, we are third, 71 points, nine ahead of Braga. So we have clinched uh, third place at this point. Braga fourth with 62. And then there's a big drop-off. Gil Vicente lead the race for fifth place uh, with 48 points. Sixth place could be a trip to the Europa Conference if... Porto do the double and beat Tundela in the cup final. If not, Tundela will take that spot. But actually, Tundela would go into the, the Euro, Europa League. And uh, Gilles and, and Vitori Jimenez would join. Uh, sorry, and Braga would drop down to the down to the Europa Conference if Tondelo win the cup. But right now, Gilles Vicente with 48. Like I said, sixth place is Vitori Jimenez. And they're going to be rooting for Porto in the cup final because they're at 44 points. They're, they're, they've clinched sixth place. They won't be caught by Maritimo. Um, I suppose they could still theoretically be caught by Passos de Ferreira. But Passos de Ferreira have a game in hand in eighth with 37 as well. Santa Clara, 37 as well in ninth. They recovered nicely after being in the relegation zone early in the season. Losing their manager, they have now turned it around a bit. Istriel. Round out the top 10 for now at 36 points. Also on 36, Bovish then 11th. Portimones 12th with 35. Famalicão with 33 and 13th place. Vizela, 
They have 32. They are safe. They are staying up in their maiden season, at least on their return to the first division. But Roca look in good shape to stay up as well. They're 15th, while Moreirense and Tondela have 26 apiece here. Tondela, however, with the match in hand, if they win that, they will be, at the very least, in a relegation playoff spot. Um, and, of course, Bisad are in last place with 18 points. However, this is getting to be an interesting interesting uh, race because they're only one point out of that playoff spot. They could still save themselves. I think I speak for everyone when I say I hope they do not save themselves. They need to go. Um, they cannot continue in the first division. This is uh, they're, they're an embarrassment and an eyesore on the league. They're not the real Bolognese. The real Bolognese plays in the Campeonato Portugal. The fact that they're walking around pretending to be Bolognese is... It, it's it's overdue. And if they're not going to merge with another club and take a new identity, they need to go. So, that is the table. The top scorers right now, uh, we have here... Darwin has got 26 goals. He's, in, he's, he's uh, top of the league right now. And nothing else really matters, to be honest. But let me see here. I'm pulling up the the Liga Portugal statistics right now. Uh, so the top goal scorer right now is Darwin with 26. The Persian pool diver, Mehdi Taremi, is second with 20. I wouldn't be shocked if 19 are from the penalty spot. And it's not quite that many, but my goodness. And Ricardo Huerta is third with 17 goals. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Mr. Befica. I kind of flew through the past month or so. Um, stick with me. Like I said, I've got I got more content coming this week. I've got some time set aside. i got to catch you up to speed and catch myself up to speed on the women's team. Now, just, uh, a three point, just three points away from – actually, one point away. Excuse me. The one point away – from winning the Portuguese league should they draw or beat Sporting next week. Again, Rui Costa, get that match at the Luge next Sunday. Do what you have to do, okay, because uh, Benfica Femininu is on the verge of winning the B. All right, that episode comes out next, and then later this week, the uh, recap of the UEFA Youth League Final Four. I'll talk about Benfica's triumph in that. All right, thank you for joining me. I'll see you next time. And like I said, it shouldn't be long. It's, it's long this time. Thank you, as always, for bearing with me. Don't forget to follow my social media uh, accounts at Mister on Twitter and at MrBefica on Instagram. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you next time here on Mr. Befica. Mm-hmm.